Welcome to another message from Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Our Christian faith rests fully on the true identity of Jesus Christ. To kick off Christmas week, Pastor Bradwells presents the baby in the manger as God himself, the everlasting Father. Jesus has the qualities of God the Father, he accepts worship as God, and he does the wonders of God. Here's Pastor Wells with a message about the cradle that rocked the world. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm sorry. Isaiah chapter number 9. And we're going to be looking at Christ the Lord. How do we know that Jesus truly is the Messiah? I was in an office on Capitol Hill and talking with some people, and and a Jewish man uh, happened to be in that office with me as well, and we had a a very friendly, kind discussion. And as we were walking out, I asked him what he believed about Jesus. And he said, well, Jesus was a good man, a good man, but he wasn't the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. And then began to detail these things. And I didn't answer or reply. So then he asked me, he said, well, who do you think Jesus is? And I said, well, I, I think Jesus is the Messiah. I think he's my Messiah. I think he's the promised Christ. And we had a little bit more discussion. As a matter of fact, we went and sat in the park and talked for about an hour and a half. And then there were many things that came to my mind. And so today I want to talk to you about Christ and how we can know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 really bring out this strong truth. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Father, we come before you knowing that you are truth and righteous, uh, righteousness, and we have no hope outside of you, but Lord, we are bold and confident knowing that you want your name proclaimed and your truth uh, unpacked and detailed in our hearts. So Lord, we come and we ask that you would reveal yourself to us with your bright, spiritual, supernatural light, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. In chapter 9, in verse number 6, you see this bold introduction about this promised Messiah. And everybody would agree that Isaiah is speaking of this Messiah. And this Messiah is going to come as a son. Here it is. This is not the New Testament. This is not something that only Christians believe. This is what all followers of God have believed For thousands of years, Isaiah was 700 years before Christ. For unto us a child is born. That is, this Messiah would be born as a baby, as a child. Unto us a son is given. And right there in those two phrases, we have the virgin birth. Christ, the Messiah, is born of woman, but is supernaturally given from heaven. That is, Joseph was not the father, 
God was the Father. And this is the, the miraculous intervention, how God would bring the promised Messiah around, around the polluted bloodline of Adam. He would have the blood of God. His blood would be sacred and holy without the curse and the taint of sin within. Not only is he a child that's born and given, the government will be upon his shoulder. Now, that did not happen in the life of Jesus, but is foretold to happen in the great millennial reign when Christ rules on earth for a thousand years. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, which is unique because most great leaders, especially a world leader, is not called Wonderful very long at all. And Counselor. Counselor, that, that's the role of a servant. That's the role of an advisor. And truly, our leader is wonderful. And he directs and leads and guides, and he's interested in what you and I think. Listen, if you're concerned about it, God's concerned about it. There's nothing that you're worried about that God doesn't want to help you with. But notice that this child, notice that this son, and this is where we're dialing in right here, is the mighty God. That is huge. The Son is the mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now last week, as you all sang so wonderfully and, and played, I, I had the privilege of preaching the Prince of Peace and how Jesus truly is that Prince of Peace. But today we're going to focus on that, that word, the everlasting Father. He is the everlasting Father. How can Jesus be the Father? How can the Son be the Father? See, that baby was from the beginning. That child was the Creator. <laughs> that infinite, that infant was infinite. The mighty God, the Creator, the everlasting Father. See, each of us is, a, is an innkeeper in many ways. And every day, we have to judge, do we have room for Jesus? And this year, as we're getting ready to launch forward and go forward with your new goals, and I want you to take this, this next little break that you have, a little bit of a break, and not just uh, focus on good food, although you should focus a little bit on that good food, and the music and, and trying to get those feelings of awe, and I think that's good. Get feelings of awe and wonder. His name is, is wonderful, and we should be filled with awe and wonder as we think of Christ. But I want you to, to dial in and set some goals. You need some good godly habits. You need to break some bad habits and get some good godly habits. I want you to wrestle with those, and, and we want to help you. I want to help you. Uh, somebody else maybe that you can confide with, maybe your parents or sibling or maybe one of your kids, they can help you and we can go forward individually and then together as a church because we have to decide, do I have room for Jesus or not? Now, everybody that's ever wrestled with, is Jesus who he claims to be? Have to see Jesus in one of three ways. You have to see Jesus as Lord because he claimed to be Lord. Or you have to see him as a lunatic. That is, he's claiming to be Lord. He thinks he's Lord. He's not Lord. He's, he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Or he's a liar. That is, he knows he's not the Lord. 
And he's not crazy, but he's just deceiving other people. Those are the three arguments that are presented. C.S. Lewis is famous for uh, publishing that, but it wasn't original to him. And it is a very, very good argument. A lo the Lord, the liar, or the lunatic. That is, Christ indeed is deity, or he's a deceiver, or he's deceived himself. That is, Christ is, is crazy. Christ is, or Christ is a con man himself. And you can't say Christ is not deity, but a good man, because good men are not deceivers, or good men are not deceived or insane themselves. There's been many people that have wrestled with this, this powerful thought. In, in the 1700s, there was a prominent man from a, a minister's family named Gilbert West, and he grew up in a Christian home, but he did not believe himself, not at all. And he began writing a book to disprove the deity of Christ. But about halfway through, he ended up writing a great work, and it's called Observations on the History and Evidence of the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he became a very strong advocate of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was transformed the more he studied. And I would say this, don't just overlook the doubts you have. Grab a hold of those and study them out you'll find amazing things about Jesus. In the 1800s, a, a very famous atheist named Ingersoll encouraged a friend of his, General Lew Wallace, to write a book disproving the deity of Christ. But he ended up writing a famous book that maybe you've heard of or maybe you've seen the movie called Ben-Hur. Halfway through this book, disproving the deity of Christ, everything was turned around. The script was flipped and he became a great believer. In the 1900s, there was another man, Frank Morrison. He was a journalist and an attorney, and so that means you can manipulate the things just a little bit. And he set, set out to write a book disproving the deity of Christ once again, but he ended up writing a book, Who Moved the Stone? After he was completely and thoroughly convinced that Jesus is everything he claims to be and more. Today, I don't really want to present any of those arguments, but I would encourage it. There's hundreds of great arguments. I want to give you three arguments for the deity of Jesus Christ, that is, Jesus Christ truly being the everlasting Father. The first one is Jesus does indeed have the qualities of the Father. You know, God's name in the Old Testament is Jehovah. It appears in the text over 7,000 times. In your King James Bible, it would be seen as the word LORD in all capitals. As a matter of fact, the Jewish people would never speak that name out loud. They would refer to it as the unpronounceable name of God, showing great reverence and great honor and respect. If you read Jewish writings, oftentimes it'll just have the first letter and then several blanks afterwards. We do that as Gentiles with cuss words and stuff, but that is to show honor that I am not worthy to, to speak or utter that name. In, in writing out the, um, the scripture and the text where they would write out the very name, they would always pause, the scribes, they would always pause and pray and make sure that they were uh, thoroughly right with God before they would script out the very name of God, Jehovah. 
Oftentimes, they would have a separate pen or quill that they would use only for writing out the name of God. God's name is always to be held in reverence. But before you ever come to the conclusion of any religion, and religion is all about the sin question. Before you can settle the sin question, you have to settle the son question. Who is Jesus? Because without somebody paying for our sin, there is no approaching to a perfect God. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3, and I want to read this to you, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the of the Lord, and that is the unpronounceable name of God, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is obviously spoken by Isaiah 700 years before Christ, speaking of the herald, uh, the, the forerunner of the Messiah. And he was saying, get ready, the Messiah is coming, as promised all the way back from the beginning when uh, the first sin happened. Well, in the 40th book of your Bible, which happens to be what? The book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 3, just like Isaiah 40 in verse number 3, it speaks of John the Baptist. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the forerunner. For this is he that was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is no accident that this Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says that, and this is the 40th book of the Bible, and chapter number 3. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. And verse number 11, jump down to verse number 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. And it was John, the baptizer. He was actively preparing the way. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his weed into his gardener, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee <laughs> and to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. And this was the incredible prophecy that came true, that John stood there in the water and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah, the Holy One. In chapter 44, in verse number 6, Isaiah 44, in verse number 6, it talks about one God, the Father. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his, re and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse number 6, there is no God besides Jesus. In the Old Testament, it speaks of Jehovah. In the New Testament, it speaks of Jesus. The, the phrase there, the first and the last, is also in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 17, as it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I am the first and the last. 
Jesus Christ truly is Jehovah. In Psalm 24, in verse number 10, it refers to Jesus as the uh, Jehovah as the King of glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 8, it refers to Jesus as that King of glory. In Isaiah 43, in verse number 11, it says, There is no Savior besides Jehovah. In Titus 2, in verse number 13, it speaks of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, that name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And Christ, that's not Jesus' last name, it is the Greek pronunciation of the word Messiah. It is the word for Messiah. In Psalm 23, in verse number 1, Jehovah is the great shepherd. In John chapter 10, in verse number 11, it's Jesus that is the good shepherd that leads his sheep in and out of pasture. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse number 11, Jehovah is the one that is the Lord of the rest, or that is the Lord of Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, and verse number 8, it is Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Jehovah in the Old Testament is Jesus in the New. He has the qualities of the Father, the eternal Father. In Genesis chapter 1, turn over there, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says, do you like hearing the Bible read to you? I love just the very words of God, the Bible. I I listen to it on my headphones. I'll listen to on a, a YouTube channel. I, I read it myself. I love it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And in the evening and the morning were the first day. Jump down to verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Who is he talking about? Or two? Well, he's talking to himself there. And it's the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost there. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea and over the fowl of the air and of the, over the cattle and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. It also says something similar in chapter 11 and verse number 7. That's the story of the Tower of Babel. Go to, let us go down. That's God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one, one another's speech. And that's still going on today. It happens between the blue and the red every day here on Capitol Hill. <laughs> but as with all of this creation in mind, go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it says something similar. I'm saying that Jesus is the eternal Father. The Messiah was promised by Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Christ that he would be uh, born and given. He would have the government upon his shoulders. He would be wonderful. He would be counselor. He would be the everlasting Father. 
the everlasting Father. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, that is, John wasn't the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here, Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the light. He's the living word. He's the illuminator to everyone that comes into this world. I'm saying he is indeed the eternal father. Jesus was born as old as his father and older than his mother. <laughs> Jesus is the eternal God. In John chapter 8 and verse number 41, Jesus was speaking to his, um, his rivals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and things got a little heated. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And here Jesus is leading them into a debate and into an argument where they are going to accuse him of being born illegitimately. And this is, uh, this is the great rumor of the day and a great question that they had as God provided him uh, perfect and sinless blood. The propaganda was that it was not only uh, flawed, but it was worse than everybody else's. Verse number 56 kind of jumps through the argument. It says, Your father Abraham, and Jesus is speaking, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Of course, they reacted. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now that is a very strong message that Jesus delivers directly to them because Moses, as he was meeting with God in the desert and getting God's plan to have his people, the Jewish people, get out of Egypt and be uh, set free. Moses says, who do I say has sent me? And of course, God says to Moses, I am that I am. Not I was, not I will be, but I am. I'm outside of time. I am the eternal father. 
And Jesus is the eternal Father as well. He's eternal. What are his qualities? He's eternal. He's holy. He's perfect. As it continues down in that conversation, they were talking about when he was born and all of this. In John 8 and verse 46, he says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? <laughs> you imagine saying that to your enemies? Can you imagine saying that to your friends, your families? Which of you, in a heated argument, public, where people are just slinging mud back and forth, and Jesus says, tell me when I've sinned. Go ahead, just name it. When did I sin? Which of you can convince me of sin? And if I say not the truth, why do you not believe me? You know, Jesus never repented of a sin. He never said he was sorry. He never asked for forgiveness, but he was perfect. He was flawless. He's the eternal father, the spotless lamb of God. Not only does he have the qualities of the father, but the second point here, he accepts the worship of the father. See, Jesus has the qualities of the father and he accepts the worship. In Luke chapter four and verse number seven, that's where Jesus is in the desert place and he's being tempted of the devil there at the end of those 40 days. And the devil comes and says, if therefore, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Just go ahead and, and the subject is worship. By the way, that is what the devil is after. Now his plan is staged. The first part of his plan is to be ignored or to be denied. And so the existence of the devil is often denied or obscured but that's not the end game. The end game is the devil is interested in worship. But he says, if you will worship me, everything will be yours. And Jesus answered and said unto him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, and this is important, and let's say this together, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Worship is very, very key. By the way, you were made to worship. I was made to, everyone is made to worship. Now, even an atheist must worship. And so there is, there is a quest, there is a search to worship. Now, you don't have to work, worship God, but you are made and built to worship. And when somebody does not worship, they feel they, feel they are not fulfilling their purpose, God's design. Now, you can worship the wrong thing, and feel quite a bit of satisfaction. I've been guilty of that. I've been worshiping, not like falling down, but it got first place in my heart, in my life. There was a time where I put first place um, basketball players. I remember in high school, I was just enamored with, with basketball. And there was, there was a time um, just outdoor activities and hunting and fishing. There was a time water skiing got first place in my life and various other things. And I had to repent and get those right. But we are built and made to worship. And you get to choose this year in 2022, this coming year, next year. Choose to worship God. Choose to put God first. Choose to worship him with all of your heart 
and sacrifice. But thou shalt worship the Lord God, and him only shalt thou. That's what Jesus said. He's quoting the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse number 2, this is what Jesus is quoting. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before, before me. Now, don't be surprised when you find a God arising in your heart besides Jehovah besides God, besides Jesus. And when you do, tear it down. Tear down that thing and get right with God. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number eight. Here's John who gets the revelation. I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship. Anytime there's something that's so great and so amazing, far above our abilities or what we know, the natural result is exactly what John does. I fall down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me all these things. Then he said unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. And then say it together. Worship God. The angel, which is higher and greater than man, even the fastest or the strongest or the most intelligent, the angels are far superior to man. And the angel says, Worship God. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm, I'm of thy brethren, the prophets. Matthew 28, 9 and 10. This is when Jesus was there with his disciples. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Now, I just read a passage there where, where John starts to worship the angel and says, the angel says, whoa, 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 don't do that. You do that, we're both going to be in trouble. None of that, okay? Stop. Get away from me. What are you doing? But Jesus accepted worship. I'm saying Jesus is the eternal Father. He had the qualities of the Father, and he accepts the worship of the Father. Verse number 10, Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. You just worshiped me. Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. In John chapter 20 and verse number 27, this is the Sunday after Thomas missed church. Don't miss church. Thomas missed church, and everybody said there was revival. We saw the Lord, and he's like, yeah, come on. <laughs> well, the next Sunday, Thomas shows up, and then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Jesus says to Thomas, hey, uh, reach your finger, put it right here and, and behold my hands. Put your finger right in the holes of my hands and reach thither thy hand and thrust it in my side. Here's the wound from the spear. And then he said, be not faithless, but believing. Turn to your neighbor and say, be not faithless, but believing. Be not faithless, but believing. Listen, that's what God wants. God wants us to build our faith, and he wants us to believe. But look at verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, who's the him there? It's, it's Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus accepted the worship of the Father. He is the eternal Father, just like Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9 and verse number 6. So I've said, number one, Jesus is the Messiah because the eternal Father, because he has the qualities of the Father. And then I said, number two, he accepts the worship of the Father. And the third argument that I want to present to you is he does the wonders of the Father. Jesus himself does the wonders of the Father. 
In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 25, this is a great verse. It's probably one you've memorized. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Four quick little things here on this point three. The wonders that the Father does, Jesus does. He saves. He saved me. He saved tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And somebody once said, Jesus saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Jesus can save you. Jesus wants to save everybody. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's, he's willing to save. He can save. He's able to save. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 21, it shows that Jesus is able to subdue, to put down things, to bring things under control. Philippians 3 and 21, who shall change your vile body, that is, Jesus, that is God, will change who we are, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. And now every once in a while, we start thinking that our bodies are pretty good. And every, if you start thinking that, just don't wash your body for a week, okay? And then all of a sudden, tell me how glorious your body is. You're like, whoa, <laughs> who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ, like the eternal Father, is able to bring things into subjection. This year, as we're talking about habits, and everybody has bad habits, everybody has habits that they want. We want to do good things. We want to do better, right? I do. There's things that need to be subdued. How do I subdue this? How do I bring this into subjection? Bring it to the Lord. And we're going to pray in just a few minutes here. And, and I want you to take that time and, and don't get distracted about this, that, or the other thing, or even the song, or I'll pray. But you bring your, your failures, those things that you can't control, that you can't suppress and subdue, and bring them to God. And I'm telling you, Jesus is able to subdue all things, everything. He, there's nothing, there's no habit that, that uh, he can't bring into subjection. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 brings up the element of satisfaction. You know, the whole world is looking for satisfaction. They're searching. They want to find it. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This power that's at work, it's in us. <laughs> as believers, as followers of God, this is not talking about I'm away from God, I'm on my own, and I can do all things because of my own willpower. Absolutely not. That, that's not what this is referring to. This is saying that God, as I surrender and I submit to him, he is able to do amazing things, things that I can't even comprehend. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Listen, God wants to do it a great work in you. As you're preparing for 2022, I want you to realize 
that God wants to work through you. And the words he uses, exceeding abundantly. That is a lot, abundance. It's not scarcity, it's abundance. Whatever God makes, he makes a lot of. When God decided to make water, he didn't make a glass, he made the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic and all the others. But it's not just abundance. It's exceeding abundance. It's more than we could think. Listen, God wants to use you and he wants to use me in a way we can't, we couldn't comprehend. And in our wildest dreams, in our greatest moments of faith, we would be skewed, we'd be off, we would come short. God wants to work and he is able to satisfy just as the eternal father, as our creator. Now, maybe there's a few people that might be wrestling with the will of God. What does God want me to do? What should I do? I'm wrestling. I don't know. Should I surrender to the will of God? I mean, isn't it going to be miserable? Isn't it going to be terrible? Isn't it? Why would I give up my will? Listen, God's will would be your will if you knew what God knows. God's your creator. He's your designer. He's your engineer. He knows the end from the beginning. He, he, he created the whole thing. He's the author and he's the finisher. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your soul. Trust him with your feelings. Trust him. Trust him with your goals and say, God, here's my life. Now, don't write everything out and give it to heaven and say, God, here's my life detailed, all out. Here's all my goals. Would you sign this? Maybe I'll, an hour, two hours. Can you sign this and get this back? Don't do that. Just take your life and put down the pen, hand it to the Lord, and say, Lord, you write out whatever you want. Whatever you want, just write it out. And then I'll sign it at the end. I'll do it. Through your power, through your enabling. Listen, God is able to satisfy and when you look for satisfaction in any other thing, whether it be mountains of money or popularity or this great platform of prominence, what, all of it is insignificant. The most insignificant place with the lowest amount of money, whatever, Jesus said, with food and, and drink, be content, is incredible purpose, incredible satisfaction with Christ. With Christ, satisfaction. Without Christ, no satisfaction. And no matter what substitute you find, you're still not satisfied. With Christ, you don't need substitutes because you were made for him. You're not made for any of that other stuff. You're made for him. He does the wonders of salvation. He does the wonders of subduing things. He does the wonders of satisfying, and he does the wonder of security. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The great fear of life is I'm going to lose what I have. It might be good now, but what, what if this happens? I heard that this might happen. I heard that this is just around the corner. Paul wrote to Timothy, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Paul, what'd you commit? I committed my soul. I committed my life to the Lord. I might have lost all these other things, but I've committed and I am persuaded. 
Not that I'm able to keep those things, but he's able to keep them. I'm saying he can save, he can subdue, he can satisfy, and he can secure. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, to the artist, he's altogether lovely in the book of Song of Solomon. To the architect, he is the chief cornerstone. To the baker, he's the living bread in John 6. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure in Matthew 13. To the biologist, he is the life in John chapter 11. To the builder, he's the sure foundation in Isaiah 28. To the doctor, he is the great physician of Matthew 9. To the educator, he is the great teacher of John chapter number 3. To the farmer, he is the Lord of harvest in Luke chapter 10. To the florist, he is the Rose of Sharon from Solomon's Song. To the geologist, he is the Rock of Ages. To the jurist, he is the Righteous Judge. To the jeweler, he is the Pearl of Great Price. To the lawyer, he is my advocate. To the publisher, he is the good tidings of great joy. To the philosopher, he is the wisdom of God. To the preacher, he's the very word of God. To the sculptor, he is the living stone. To the statesman, he is the desire of all nations. To the theologian, he is the author and the finisher of our faith. To the traveler, he is the new and the living way. To the sinner, he's the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And to all believers, to every believer, he is the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and his name shall be called Wonderful. But the question is, is he your father? There's an adoption process that needs to happen where we say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done and who I've become. And I surrender and I submit myself to you. And God, would you take me? Would you save me? I yield my life. I give myself to you. The government of the land is not on your shoulder, but the government of, of my life is on your shoulder. And I yield control to you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or come visit us in person Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. We'll be back next week with another message from Graceway Baptist Church right here on Capitol Hill.